This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. I started this podcast with the premise that everyone has a story from their life that just seems completely crazy, and when they tell it, nobody believes that it actually happened. And boy, howdy have you people delivered, because we've had a virtual kidnapping scheme, we had Ken Bone, everybody loves Ken Bone, and uh, you know, last week we had Andrew Heaton talking about uh, his bout with international arms smuggling, unintentionally of course, and actually for that matter, a tax evasion in, in Great Britain. One person who will probably have a good story to tell after we emerge from the COVID-19 lockdown is a young man named Brad. Unfortunately, we don't know his last name because he wants some level of anonymity, which is kind of ironic considering what he's actually doing. See, Brad is a 30-something New Yorker who has been posting flyers all over the city asking for a germ-free girlfriend during the coronavirus scare. Brad says in the flyer that he's seeking girlfriend for coronas and beyond and describes himself as a healthy, attractive, well-employed man who's looking for germ-free monogamy. By the way, I actually saw germ-free monogamy play at Lollapalooza a couple of years ago. They were just awesome live. The flyer goes on to say, please be healthy, fit, and clean. You know, that actually seems like good advice anytime. Uh, Brad uh, told the New York Post to actually track him down that he's been trying to figure out how to look for romance as a single man during the COVID-19 crisis, when physical contact with others is discouraged. And we had a story last week about a guy who actually went the extra mile and, uh, and managed to do that. He said he thought posting flyers on the running path would be a good idea, attract women who are passionate about fitness, health, and the outdoors like he is. Yeah, I, I applaud Brad's efforts to use this strange time for some kind of personal growth. My friend Katie Leva is one person who went through a great time of personal growth long before the virus struck. She decided to completely overturn her life and join the Army Reserve. She went to boot camp at the age of 35, surrounded by people who were mostly just out of high school. Katie, would you say that's a good description of your experience, or am I exaggerating just a little bit? I would say not as dramatic and more dramatic at the same time. I don't even know how that's possible. Um, but yeah, so... I had made the decision in the summertime, and so I decided I wanted to do this, but there were a lot of loose ends I needed to do. I owned a home at the time. I had a successful real estate business. I was, you know, I was selling millions of dollars worth of real estate every year, um, and I, I was I was competitive athlete, and I had just qualified for um, nationals and so my coach was pushing me to compete for this so I had all of these things that I had lined up that I had been working for for so long um, but I, I was talking to a few friends and I just I just kept saying I, I always said I wanted to do this I always said I wanted to do this I am turning 34 and the cutoff to enlist in the army was 35 now other branches it's different ages but i always knew i wanted to do army yeah i, th I think the air force is like 67 <laughs> yeah air force is, and navy are in their in the 40s yeah uh, but i knew that that wasn't really the right path for me um and so i decided all right well 
a friend of mine had suggested, why don't you just go talk to somebody and see if this really is something you want to do? So I had gone and I had talked to multiple recruiters um, from different branches and uh, different parts of the Army. So Guard, Reserve, Active, I talked to everybody. Um, and then I, I remember I was sitting in the office and I was you know, BSing with, with one of the recruiters and he said, he's like, wait a minute, do you want, what do you want to do this for? And he couldn't, he couldn't wrap his brain around the fact that I was in my 30s and I wanted to do this. <laughs> and so he kept asking me, what, okay, are, do you need to go to school? Do you need money? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the problem? I said, nah, I don't need to go to school. <laughs> I have a degree. And he's like, well, do you want to go get your master's? Um, if I wanted to, I already could. I have, I'm really, really blessed that I have a trust that would pay for me if I really wanted to do that. Um, so no, that's, that's not an incentive. What else you got? And I remember he's like, I need to give you a hug because you're actually here because you genuinely care and you want to be here. He's like, we never get Aww. this anymore. <laughs> well, well, it, yeah, I mean, like I was thinking about like the, the recruiting process and there's been a couple of times where because I work in radio, believe it or not, I've been laid off a couple of times. Yeah, and, it's shocking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, each time that that's happened, like immediately afterwards, I'm like. You know, usually I'm in that like completely disgruntled. I'm never going to do radio again ever, you know, so I need to do something different. And I and I would each time I've thought, well, it might, it might not be a bad idea to join the uh, to join the military because, you know, that's a that's a way to do something like constructive and and then figure out, you know, sort of what I want to do do next in life. And maybe that'll help me help me get there. And uh, uh, every time I've actually then come to the conclusion that, well, if I did that, they would probably just have me do radio or TV in the military. So that's not really going to accomplish much. Which is funny because it's funny that you say that because that was my initial thought to going into it. Okay, I have, you know, 10 years of radio experience. I have seven years of real estate experience. Okay, so they don't need me for real estate. That's that's the last thing they need. Right, yeah. Uh, but I have you know, this music background, this broadcasting background, you know, is this going to be like, you know, good morning, Vietnam, like, what, what, what is this going to be? And so the first thing that they have you do is take what's called an ASVAB test, which is basically, you know, a standardized test to see where, where your skill set is. Um, and then based on your scores in overall and in each different category, they offer you certain jobs. Mm -hmm. So, I walked into the recruiting office at this point just to talk with somebody to get the process. And after talking to the guy who ended up being my recruiter, he's like, well, why don't you just take the practice test and see how you score? And I was like, well, I'm, again, 30, about to be 34 at this point. I haven't taken a standardized test in roughly 15 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Can you give yeah. me a little bit of time? Could I just go and study real quick? Like, give me a couple of YouTube videos to refresh my memory and then we'll be good. And he's like, no, 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 let's just try it. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. So I agreed. I took it right then and there. It took about two or three hours. So I took it right then and there and scored, I guess, very high. Well, I mean, first um, of all, the fact that you did that is impressive enough because, you know, like we're, we're, we're about the same age. So, you know, like if I tried to walk in and do a, a standard test for anything, standardized test for anything, I, you know, like I, I would completely 
bomb it and uh people would wonder how i how i ever made it through like fifth grade well exactly and that was that was my fear is they're gonna look at at these scores and be like what the hell no she's not joining the damn army you want to be a cook all right (laughs) um so i i I guess i got a, a really good score to where he's like well let's put in your score and see what jobs could be available for you so basically every job under the sun popped up which i'm i'm still in shock about today (laughs) um and so he asked well what do you want to do what do you like and i was like well i have you know years of broadcasting experience maybe i just go down that route again and he looked at me and he's like you have one of the highest scores i've seen in a long time why would you waste that on doing broadcasting and i was like well you just kicked in my entire college career in the teeth okay (laughs) thanks See, even my birds agree. Exactly. Um, so that was one of those moments where I was like, okay, well, I wanted to do this because I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to do something good with my life. So, all right, what do you got? And that's when the offer of uh, intelligence popped up on the board and it, it was like, all right, right, let's. it's one of the hardest ones to do, but I qualified for it. I want to make a difference. Let's do the job that they need the most, because at the end of the day, that was my goal. So um, the next step in the process was to go to uh, what's called METS, um, and that's basically your physical and mental readiness uh, checks. So, so, so this they, definitely isn't like uh, like the movie Stripes, uh, where literally they sign the papers and five minutes later they're on a bus. Um. No. So at this point, my papers had not been signed yet. At this point, this is we're going to do all the testing on you to see and make sure that you are fit for the military. Um, What a lot of people don't know is this is a very, very detailed, intricate process. So they have you, um, excuse me, they have you. Oh, doing blood tests and urine tests and um, you have to retake some mental tests. You have to, you know, answer a whole bunch of questions. You have to get an eye exam. You have to get, um, you have to, do, you have to do all of the physical exams with like being able to squat and blah, blah, blah. So this is the part that a lot of people get caught up in because there are a lot of things that the military automatically disqualifies you for. And a lot of people think it's easy. I, 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 I don't have anything going on in my life. I'll just join the military because they'll take me, right? I don't have right. a job. I'll just join the military. It's actually one in five people actually get through to even sign up for the military due to this process. So it's a lot harder to get it than you actually think. Mm-hmm. Um, I technically was disqualified because of my eyesight. Um, and I ended up uh, being approved for a waiver because it wasn't, it was like ever so slightly above. Um, but there are certain things that if you've had any medical treatment for certain things, they, they will not take you whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So um, because I was so much older, I actually had a medical history and they wanted documentation on every time you had to go to the ER, every time you went to the walk-in care or a clinic for, you know, 
you get sick in the middle of the night, you go to the walk-in clinic down the street. Like, they wanted documentation on all of that. So here's me. Like, well, yeah, okay, let me see if I could find that from when I was 16 years old. Cool. <laughs> um, so it, it took from November of 2018 until February of 2019 to finally make it through that process. Wow. See, see, that would probably, uh, you know, you said... You know, one one in five uh, actually make it. That would probably cause a lot of people to quit the process. Just having to go through, you know, having having to literally find records from when they went to the doctor when they were sixteen. Right, and not only that, but you have to get it, bring it back, and then they go over the documents and they say, "Okay, here's the next time you come back." So I went back and forth, I think five or six times. Um, I had met people in basic training that had gone like ten, fifteen, twenty times. Mm-hmm. So it it was very easy mentally at that point to say, maybe this is a sign this was the wrong choice. And it's one of those, you know, we've all dealt with bureaucratic BS that slows down the process. Oh, yeah. This, this is a process that is intended to do that because they want to see if mentally you can follow through with everything that you want and everything that you're told you need to do. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't go back to the hospital and pull up some old records and you can't figure that out, then we know you're not going to be able to follow orders on a battlefield. Yeah. So that's one of those things where they kind of want to weed that down. Yeah, it's, so, it's sort of like when, you're, when your teacher would give you a, uh, a really hard test and then, you know, it would say at the top, you know, read all these questions before you begin. And then the last question would be, don't do any of the uh, questions, just hand the test right back to the, the teacher. And like 90% of the class would actually go through and do all the questions before they got to the last one. Exactly. Exactly. It, that is the military to a T. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it took, me, it took me a long time to finally sign on. So once I finally signed in February, um, I had the choice of when I wanted to leave. Um, and they shipped people out every 10 weeks because, uh, actually I think it's like eight weeks because that's when, excuse me, um, that's when, uh, how long boot, uh, boot camp is or basic training. Is. Mm-hmm. So they get a new batch of new people. Um, so I was kind of told what to expect a little bit. And I think I was relying on just my pop culture references and movies and well, what well did, I, did any, was anybody in that process trying to talk you out of it saying, you know, boot camp is, is, is really tough. So are you sure you want to go through with this? I was actually told the opposite. Oh, okay. I was told it is so easy. You will be perfectly fine. Because that was definitely something that I was concerned about. Again, I'm in my 30s. Am I going to be able to physically keep up with a lot of these kids? Now, I had a little bit of an advantage in the years leading up to this decision. I got heavily involved in fitness. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, again, a competitive weightlifter. And I was doing CrossFit. And I was able to do things that these kids because they were weren't able to do so i actually went and trained with a couple of other um what they called future soldiers and i blew all of them out of the water so at that point everybody just started laughing like you are going to be fine at basic training okay (laughs) 
all right, let's see how this goes. So, um, so, so left for basic training in April and, um, it didn't really hit me of what the hell was going on and what I really signed up for until, um, I got off the bus. So you, they, they fly you out there, they load you all on this bus, and then they drive the bus to, to base. Um, and then a drill sergeant comes on the bus and you know screams some swear words at you and tells you to get the F off. Um, and then lines you all up in a single row, puts a timer on, it says you have, you, know, you have five minutes to contact your family and tell them you're here, and then all of your phones are going in a bag. And that was the first time I'm a grown ass adult and I'm handing my phone over to essentially a 20 year old. Um, yeah. See, see, that seems like it would be really challenging, uh, you know, to adapt to, uh, you know, it's one yeah. thing for like an 18 year old who's fresh out of high school to be told, do this, do this, do this. But you're, you're a full grown adult person who's been making your own decisions for quite some time now. So to suddenly be in that position, that seems like it would be the, the weirdest thing and the, and the toughest transition. It, it absolutely was. And that was, it was hard because the majority of the drill sergeants there were my age or younger. There were a handful that were older, but for the most part, being a drill sergeant is extremely difficult it is um something that they have to train for they are tested it is very very hard to become one um and so they are the top 10 percent and um because of that (laughs) they are a a lot of the time a lot younger so Mm -hmm. most of my drill sergeants were 22 23 24 25 somewhere in there um and they had a lot more experience in the military, obviously, than I did. But they had, again, most of the time, generally speaking, not a lot of experience in the work, working environment work field. So because of that, I had been working in corporate America for how long? I had been my own uh, business. <laughs> I had bought and sold multiple homes I I had done for myself. Um, You don't need to yell at me. Mm -hmm. Literally just tell me what you want me to do and I will do it because I am, again, a grown-ass adult. But that's not the way the structure works. Um, So I knew that going into it. So on the day that we actually started basic training, which was a week after we got there, Um, The day we actually started basic training is what's called the shark attack, which is when they have you essentially run to where your barracks are, carrying all of your gear while they're yelling and screaming, blah, blah, blah. And then they get in your face and they yell and they scream some more. And then they throw your stuff all over the place and they tell you you have 10 seconds to pick it up. And of course, it's impossible to complete. And then they yell and scream some more. And so then, again, they give us our phones back and say, all right, your your last chance to talk to your family for the next, you know, four weeks. And I remember sitting next to this girl who was 18 years old, and she's on the phone with her mom, and she just starts bawling. Oh, my God, people are yelling at me, and I don't know what to do. And, and I'm sitting next to her, and I call my mom, and I was like, I'm here. She was like, no, you're there. You called me last week. What do you want? I'm like, <laughs> um... I, I, this is the last time I'll have my phone for a few weeks. It's like, all right, good luck. See you later. Click. 
Well, well, yeah, I mean, because like from from your mom's point of view, like I, you know, it's probably a little bit longer than you've been out of touch before. But you know, it's not like it's not like you you talk to her, you know, constantly three or four times a day. Like she's probably used to you living your own life and everything like that. Exactly. Like I would call my mom every few weeks, you know, see if you want to have dinner type of thing. But for me to check in twice in a week when nothing was going on and she knew I was gone. (laughs) <laughs> it was like, why are you calling me? <laughs> um, but I, I had to like almost put myself into the shoes of a 17, 18 year old again, when you're living with your family and you've lived with your family your entire life. And now one day you're ripped from your home. Well, hold on. They volunteered. Um, so you, you leave yeah. your home. There was a time in history when they might have been ripped from their home, but but now everybody's yeah, volunteering. Yeah. I don't want to make it seem like they're victims because they're yeah. not. Um but I mean, they made the choice to leave and it's hard enough to leave your house uh, for the first time in your life, move out on your own. It's another thing to do it as an 18 year old and be thrown into a situation like that. And I, and that's kind of the point of basic training. So there, the first three weeks are considered red phase, which is a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of, uh, what do they call it, corrective, punishment or something. I don't know. You do something wrong and basically everybody pays for it. So the amount of kids, again, that I saw that couldn't do a single push-up, that couldn't do a single sit-up, that couldn't run more than a mile without throwing up. Oh, okay. Now, now see, see, that amazes me. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I'm not a, a wonderful, you know, physical specimen or anything anyway, but I haven't joined the Army. So, like, exactly. you, you have some warning. So, like, how are you going into that not being able to, to, to do those, those basic things? Like, just, that just blows my mind. Well, because back in the day, um, it used to be <laughs> – how do I word this properly? It used to be that if you had no other option – for one reason or another, you join the military. If you were fat, you'll get into shape. If you were getting into trouble with drugs, we'll get you clean. If you're getting into trouble on the streets and with, you know, police, we'll set you straight. Well, well, yeah, but but what I'm saying is that, like, you know, using your situation as as an example, you had a couple months lead time in which you know at the end of this process, however long it takes, you're going to be going to basic training. So during that time, I'm doing a push-up or two. Exactly. And, and I think that was kind of my train of thought, too, is I'm like, you, you, you signed up for this. You knew this was happening. You didn't train at all. You didn't prepare at all. And, and again, they all have the same reaction. You know, I thought that that was the point of basic was to get you in shape for that. Mm-hmm. What? No. I mean, it's crazy to think a week ago, the kid sitting next to me lived his life on his couch playing video games. Um. And so we were told by our drill sergeants, there's a good percentage of you, probably about 20% that aren't going to make it through this. And most of it is going to be because you can't pass a physical fitness test. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how it works, which again, none of this was explained to me. I'm hearing all of this for the first time. Um, How it works is you have three physical fitness tests throughout these 10 weeks. You have to pass the very, very last one. If you don't, 
you have to do basic training all over again. So there's another 10 weeks starting from day one. We'll give you a chance. We'll help you, you know, work on everything, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you don't pass the second time, technically they can keep you for up to, I believe it's two years. Um, but if you don't pass the second time, then you have the option of just saying Army's not for me and being done and leaving. But if you do that, that's a lot of paperwork. And that paperwork can take up to six months. So they, they get you for a while. So they told us the fastest way to get out of here is to complete and pass your physical fitness test and complete mm -hmm. basic training. There are requirements you have to pass and there are physical requirements you have to pass. So the 20% of people that won't make it out of here are, are gonna be because, again, because of fit, oh, physical fitness, because they get injured or because they do something to take themselves out. So we had a lot of kids who mentally were not were not physically mentally were not there they weren't strong enough mentally that's where i was going with. Mm -hmm. they weren't strong enough mentally to make it through that process and so after a few weeks of being yelled at again for sometimes the first time in their lives and having structure they decided this isn't for me i don't want to be here anymore so they would tell the drill sergeant i don't want to be here anymore i want out and the drill sergeants would say okay great we can start that paperwork but you're going to be stuck here for a long time while you're waiting on that paperwork to go through. And then they would turn around and they would say, fine, I want to kill myself. And at that point, the second you say anything like that, you go home immediately. Because that is not something that the military can touch with the temple pole. Mm -hmm. That's that, that is, it's such a touchy subject. You have to be in a right mental state of mind to get through all of this training and make it into the military because we ask a lot of our military. If you mentally cannot handle it, then they're going to let you out. And so there were a lot of kids that just said, no, of course I'm not going to kill myself, but I said that to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was sad. It was really, really sad to think that, again, you knew what you were getting into but it was more important for them to be at home, again, playing video games or doing whatever. So, and then there were people who um, got hurt, fell off of something, slipped on something. We had one girl break her leg. We had um, a lot of issues with, not osteoporosis, I forget what it's called, osteopedia, that's what it's called, which I had never heard of in my life, but apparently, half of the people in the damn military were diagnosed with it, which well, that's interesting. is, yeah, and, and, and all these people were having all kinds of issues with their bones, and they, they said osteopedia is, is um, very common because you have these young kids who've never been really physically fit, but then on top of that, they've never really taken care of their nutrition, so their bones were very brittle, and <laughs> And now that just reminds me of the Simpsons episode where uh, uh, Bart, like he, he's cracking his knuckles and he actually breaks his fingers. And he's like, I don't understand this. I've been drinking all of my milk. 
Because it, it's, you know, yeah, it's imitation milk. Really milk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and, and actually, yeah, there's a whole big thing with is milk really helping or not. But, yeah. Uh, and, but that's essentially what it was is they told them your bones aren't strong enough to handle putting a, a 40 pound ruck on your back and telling you to march for, for 20 miles. Your bones won't be able to handle that. Something's going to break. So, well, I, I will give I will give people credit for that because that's like I, I feel like that's something that you wouldn't know about until you actually got into doing like this, you know, this heavy physical stuff. You know, to, to me, that that's a lot more understandable than, you know, people not being able to do a push up, you know, literally going into basic training for the military, not being able to do a push up. Like, have, have they not seen Full Metal Jacket? <laughs> I mean, any military movie. At all, you can even yeah. you can even reference the damn Avengers, Captain America going through that first process in the very very first Captain America movie. Yeah, come on, you can even go there. Band of um, Brothers, a- anything, help me out anything, here. Anything, anything, anything. Now, again, I was really lucky in, in that I was already heavily involved in the fitness world and throwing a, a weighted vest on and going for a two mile run was a normal thing for me um, because I'm crazy. So I was fine. It was more the younger kids who didn't have the nutrition. So then they would have they would have this option of do you want out of the military or do you want to go and try and take care of yourself and we'll let you come back. And most of them just said, screw this, I'm out. It's mm-hmm. easier. So so we started with two hundred and something. I don't remember the exact number. We graduated with one thirty. Hmm. So that was a huge huge difference for us um basic training itself for me the worst part about it was what's called the battle buddy system so if you're not familiar with that it literally means exactly that you cannot go anywhere by yourself you cannot leave you cannot walk down a hallway you cannot do anything by yourself you have to have somebody with you at all times. And it cannot be a drill sergeant, it cannot be an executive officer, it, it has to be somebody of your rank. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, it has to be somebody who's a, a soldier in training. So we weren't allowed to do little things like, hey, I need to go take my clothes out of the dryer, or you know, to, can somebody go with me? Are you kidding me? I need permission. I need I, I need a, a 19-year-old to walk me downstairs. <laughs> what? <laughs> that that was really hard for me. Again, I'm an adult. I've been living on my own for a very very long time. I don't need somebody to hold my hand. But that is one of those things that they instill in you. Well, do in they order do, to prepare you? Do do they do they do that from a a <laughs> Uh, a, a standpoint of sort of along the lines of uh, you know a couple other things we need you to do this because we're telling you to do this and we need to understand that you can do what you're told or are they doing it for like legal reasons or, or did you get any insight into that exactly so it depends. the reasoning behind it basically the answer is yes um, yes you need to know you need to do what you're told regardless of if you think it's stupid or not right mm-hmm. Um, the second reason is because when you go into, if you're called into battle, that's how it is. I have 
this person is my battle buddy. So whatever job we need to do, we are watching out for each other. It is no soldier left behind. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be someone running off and, you know, doing some rogue crap. Everybody has somebody looking after them. Um, and then the other last issue is that, sadly enough, the Army is the branch with the highest number of sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in order to combat that, having somebody there with you at all times just kind of keeps you safe too. We couldn't even as much as talk to a drill sergeant without somebody else there because they never wanted to have this perspective or or, or perception that, that somebody said something inappropriate and yada, yada, yada. Um, So those were like the main reasons why you had to do it. But that continued all the way through my advanced individual training in Arizona. So from April until October of 2019, I had to have somebody at my side at all times. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely terrible. Again, especially somebody like me who uh, I could easily spend three, four hours in the gym. And then when I had the freedom in, in advanced training that I could go off base and I could go to the gym and I could go to the movies or the bowling alley, I mm-hmm. had to bring somebody with me. Now, how many 19 year olds do you think I can convince on a Saturday morning to get up at six and go spend three hours with me at the gym? Probably pretty short list, especially since they couldn't do one push up or one sit up. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was um, that was one of the the harder parts. Um, the other, let's see, some of the other big issues were the amount of was the amount of time that they got really good at wasting. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of hurry up and waste and it's not hurry up and wait 10 minutes. It's hurry up and wait three hours, sometimes two hours. If you were lucky, like 45 minutes. But there were a lot of times we would, we would get up at, you know, three or four in the morning, be in class, doing drills, what have you, until five or six at night. And then we'd have to sit out on the drill pad until 10 o'clock at night. So it was, it was, definitely pretty intense and i wonder how much of that is you know intentional on their part to again you know they want you to do what you're told so Mm -hmm. actually having you have to sit around and do nothing for three hours it's it's a pretty good test actually it is it really is um i think the first time we had to stand there for like an hour uh, eventually people's knees start locking and people start going down like flies and then they tell you to sit down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the hardest things for me, which sounds so stupid, was sitting. Um, because most of the time we sat on the ground, we sat on the floor, we sat on the grass, and you were never allowed to just sit willy-nilly. You had to sit Indian style on the ground. My knees don't bend like that anymore. (laughs) That was one of the few times I was like, my age is really showing. My right knee is 
still like it still hurts if I even bend it like that. <laughs> you had to sit like that, like absolutely had to. Uh, it's it's and funny. It's it funny hurt. to think that that would be the thing that you know kind of shows your age a little bit is is having to right. sit around Indian style. <laughs> right, right. Um, I I think the other one of the bigger ones was dealing with the drama of being. 19, 20 years old again. I forget. <laughs> I forget how drama filled their lives actually are and how mm-hmm. everything is a big deal. And, 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 you know, maybe it's just females. I don't know. I'm sure males had, had drama too, but females seem to take it to a different level. And, oh my God, this, this just sucks. And I can't believe this is the worst thing ever. I hate myself for this. And you're like, what? <laughs> because you got green beans instead of corn? Like, is this really <laughs> like, is that what you're complaining about? Okay. Um, as an adult, you kind of look at things and you say, what's important in my life? What do I really care about? And, and what is worth, you know, making a stink over and what's not? Um, so, I mean, the, 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 the girls that were fighting and throwing things and screaming at each other and here's me in the back corner reading a book <laughs> reading a book and, wishing you had somebody to take you to the gym yeah pretty much can someone just, just please <laughs> but it was one of those things it was definitely a really really good learning experience um, I, I I'm actually happy that I didn't do it when I was in my 20s or even younger um, and I guess the reason being is because I saw how fragile they were. And I think about how fragile I was at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, what kind of a person would have came out on the other end of that. Um, because I was, you know, a gritty girl from the South side of Chicago and I wanted to fight over everything and I was going to make a big deal over everything. And again, the drama filled life of a 20 year old who thinks they, they know the world. Um, versus me going into this knowing I'm going to be surrounded by teenagers, knowing mm-hmm. I'm going to be green back, knowing I'm going to have structure and I'm going to have to follow the rules regardless of if I like it or not, and knowing if I keep my head down and if I do the work, we'll get past all of this and I'll be able to get on to do, to be, to do my real job and to actually make an impact and be able to actually help people because at the end of the day, that's what I came there to do. And so to have that mindset going in of setting expectations for myself, I was able to come out the same person that I went in mm-hmm. with, you know, learning a lot along the way. But these kids who go in, they, it, okay, let's back up. When, they, when anybody enlists in the military, they go in for three reasons. One is to escape something, escape life. I don't have a good job. I need money, you know, whatever it happens to be. Or I, I want to travel the world. So this is a free way to travel the world, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Then you have the people who honestly just want free college. I want to go to college for free. I don't want to pay for anything. The military is going to do that. And then you have the people who we would call them like the rah-rah America crowd. The people like me joined because they want to make it, they want to do something good with their lives. Mm-hmm. And I put myself in that category because if I didn't want to do something good for this, like 
I had everything else that I needed. I wanted to make a difference and to follow a dream and yada. So I went into it thinking the kids who went in for free college are the ones that are going to be a pain in my ass. (laughs) Because they, again, you know, in my mind, the the millennials want stuff for free and they don't want to work for it. And they think I'll just join the military and it'll be easy and then I'll get college for free. I was totally wrong. Completely wrong. At the end of the day, it was the people who were escaping their lives or trying to escape their lives that caused the most problems and had the most drama. The people who were in for college knew that they had to earn it. Yeah. Worked hard because they knew if they worked hard at the end of this, they're going to be able to go to college for free. And that was a huge goal of theirs. So the people who caused the most drama were the ones that thought, I don't want to live with my parents anymore. I don't want to listen to their rules. I'm going to go travel the world with the military and let them pay for everything. And let, let I'm going to do, I'm going to do all these great, awesome things and not have to worry about paying for anything or finding a job or anything like that. Having no rules, responsibilities. And then they get into the military and it's a lot worse than mom and dad's house. Yeah. And then they're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Actually, it is. So, I mean, kind of the, the you know, the, the headline of, of your story, I think, is, you know, sort of how crazy it is that how crazy of an experience it would be to decide to join the military, you know, in your in, in your mid 30s. But like, what, what was the biggest advantage that you actually had by being, you know, by by being in your mid thirties instead of being a, a young dumb teenager, was it basically just like being prepared mentally? Because you know, like I, I'm thinking, it, like the biggest difference between me and like eighteen year old Keith is that I, I wish I would have had somebody at the time, like when I'm I'm going through high school and everything, to tell me, you know what, it's only four years, get it done, and then you can get to the good stuff. Instead, everybody was telling me, oh, my God, this is the most important thing you're ever going to do. You know, this sets the tone for the rest of your life. And if somebody would have actually just told me, hey, just get through this and then you can get to the good stuff, everything would have been a lot easier and there wouldn't have been as much drama. And it seems like because you had more experience than these young, dumb kids, that you just had more perspective that, hey, it's, you know, it's eight, 10 weeks of my life that may not be that fun, but then I'm going to get to the good stuff. And I, and I know that going in. So, you know, I've got my eyes on that instead of the inconveniences of, of you know, what's going on right this second. Absolutely. I think having a mindset going into any kind of a challenge, um, is really going to pave the way for, you know, how you see that challenge and if it was a positive or a negative experience. Um, I saw it as a positive experience and regardless of the negative things that happened, it still helped me learn things in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with these younger kids going in, they all had, everyone has their own reasons. I had one girl tell me I'm just selfish and I joined for selfish reasons and I'm okay being selfish and I don't care about anybody. And that blew I'm, my mind. I hope that wasn't your battle buddy. Oh, oh, it was for a little while. That did not go well. <laughs> um, well, I hope you got a better one after that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, thank God. Um, but I, I look at her and it's easy to go, wow, what a terrible person you are. And, and how is it that people look at the military and, and everything that they do and you don't want to help anybody? Like, you shouldn't be allowed in here. Are you kidding me? Um, but then you realize like how broken she actually is. Yeah. And, yeah. And it would be too easy to write off somebody like that and say, well, that's not the person I want at my side. Instead, it, it, exactly. Exactly. Like I just did. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to say, well, cool. Never going to talk to you again in my life. Fantastic. But we were thrown in a situation where that wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, you're once again learning, how do I make, uh, you know, the best situation out of a bad one? And how do I how do I keep my humanity and myself when I'm surrounded by you know someone or multiple people who are who just see this as a negative thing? At the end of the day, she's going to be one of the people that probably I hope I'm wrong, but gets out of the military saying what a terrible experience it was. Mm-hmm. So yes, going in older, I had already been there, done that, learned all those lessons. The negative part of it was um, every now and then you just needed a break from a 19 year old. And so there were a handful of us who were over the age of 30. And um, we called ourselves the AARP club. (laughs) And any time that one of us, we kind of had this like pact. Anytime one of us was having a really hard time and we just could not be around teenagers anymore, we would go and find the rest of us and we'd say, okay, it is time for an AARP club meeting, AKA we would just essentially go and hang out in the cafeteria and, and like, like have an adult conversation. Okay, what's our topic for today? Our topic today is mortgage rates. Okay, cool. Let's talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing. Um, and sometimes it sounds so nerdy, but sometimes I needed somebody older to challenge me in those things so I could keep myself. You know, we talked about, uh, we had topics like, you know, teachers carrying weapons in school and um, relationships and marriage and all of these things that I couldn't have a conversation like that with somebody who's 19. They haven't been through the same things that we have. Um, and so that really, if I didn't have that, not that I wouldn't have made it through, I would have made it through. It just definitely would have been a lot harder. Mm -hmm. So I was really lucky. One of the guys I became really good friends with is a police officer in Fort Worth, Texas. And I don't know if you've read the news lately, but there's been a lot of stuff happening in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and so he would keep in contact with some of his coworkers and he would like update us, you know, hey, this is what's going on in the world. This is what's happening with the police department. And this is what's going on with this major story. And, um, and it was really kind of cool that we could still keep a part of ourselves even though we were told you need to be who the military needs you to be right now. So AARP club is definitely (laughs) one of the things I would highly suggest to anybody who might be considering doing something dumb like I did and joining the military in their thirties. Well, that, that was, uh, that was the last question I wanted to ask is, you know, whether it's somebody who is in their mid thirties and decides to do it or just joins the military in general, what would be your advice to them? 
My biggest advice would be to join um, for the right reasons and go in it with an open mind and an open heart because they are, the military is designed to break you down and then slowly build you back up. And it is a very emotional process that you have to be mentally prepared for. And if you go in for the wrong reasons, your mental state is not there. Mm -hmm. You have to be grateful for every challenge that's thrown your way. And if you happen to kick ass and, you know, run circles around the 19, 20 year olds, that's a pretty darn good feeling too. <laughs> but overall, um, I think at the end of the day, I wanted to be able to help. I, you know, those who don't know me, I worked I, as a military relocation professional for years. So mm -hmm. I would military buy sell homes. I I wanted to do more to help them, and so me joining the reserves was a way of saying. Hey, I've always wanted to do this. Now that I'm here, can I help even more in multiple aspects? And so at the end of the day, if you are not willing to help the person next to you, if, if you're not willing to work together as a group, you'll never make it through. Mm -hmm. Never, ever make it through. So having the right mindset and my God, do a push up every now and then. <sighs> Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story, and uh, I'm literally right now going to uh, to do a push up and a sit up just to just to prove to myself that I can. Okay, picture it didn't happen. That story is actually going to be pretty hard to top, but the person who will try next week is CNN political commentator Matt Lewis, who has a story from his uh, rambunctious young high school days. If you think you can top that story. Shoot me a story at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, anywhere you see uh, a place where you can rate this podcast. Please do so because it'll help other people find it. I'll talk to you next week, assuming we aren't hit with another plague. Cabotron.